In today's bulletin sheet, we reported that Rachel Lyles Jackson was to be admitted this coming Wednesday to Cabell and giving birth to babies, but they arrived early. And she and Randy are now proud parents of two baby girls. They are doing great. Congratulations to Kevin and Robin grandparents. Also this past week, Andy and Heather received the news that they are expecting a girl and a boy. That's good. Congratulations and keep them in your prayers as they await their arrival. We express our deepest sympathy and love to Sandy, Miranda, and Cy at the sudden passing of Bud this past week. Viewing will be this afternoon from 2 to 4 with services following at 4 o'clock. A private graveside service will be held at a later date. Continue to keep Sandy and Miranda and Cy in your prayers at this difficult time. If you haven't picked up a bulletin sheet, please do so as you leave this morning. And keep everyone in that in your prayers. Got a couple things here. I would like to thank our brothers and sisters of the Rome congregation for their prayers during this past six months. Losing my dad and Jackie's dad so close together has been challenging. Jeff and Jackie Hutchison, keep them in your prayers as they both lost their dads. Wanda and JB's granddaughter Maggie was rebaptized Thursday evening at the building. Thanks to Chris and Eli for their help. Are there any other announcements that needs to be made? Yes. What's her name? Keep Margaret and Virginia's sister Rosemary in your prayers. She's in St. Mary's with a broken hip. And all these people would really like to have would really like cards and prayers. I'd like to read this morning Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, if you'd like to follow along. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we're thankful for this beautiful day of life you've given us for your Son who came and died for us. We're thankful for the land in which we live and our community. And we pray, Father, that we let our light shine bright in our community. We ask your blessings on each one that has been mentioned this morning, with those that are fighting cancer, those that are fighting COVID, and be with those that are in the hospital with broken bones of some kind. We pray for Frank and Virginia that you watch over them and continue to give them strength. 
be with Dean and Mary Alice and Margaret and Virginia's sister. Bless her and all of our others, Father, that are sick at this time. We ask that you go with us through this service. We pray that the things we do will be in accordance with your will and pleasing unto you. Be with Chris as he presents us with a lesson. We're thankful for the blessing that we can be here on Wednesday, that we can be back to normal state as soon as possible. We're thankful for those that are fighting the COVID, that they continue to come up with a vaccine and medicines that will help fight this dreaded virus. Bless us, Father. Forgive us. In thy son's name we pray, and amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? First hymn this morning, number 19. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Number 19. We'll sing all four verses. Oh, hail the power of Jesus, name that angels prostrate Next hymn this morning, number 261, 261, I am thine, O Lord. Now to this hymn, Brother Allen, we'll have our scripture and prayer. I'll sing the first three <clears throat> Thank you. 
reading this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. Luke 7, 20 through 23. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases sicknesses and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. <clears throat> the blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble, on account of me. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. <clears throat> our wonderful Father in heaven, we, we thank you so much, Father, for the opportunity we have to, to gather this morning with our brothers and sisters in Christ at this place and to sing songs and praises to your name, to, to worship you and to study from your word. Father, we pray that you'll be at the hearts and minds of all of us as we as we work here together to worship you and to, to fellowship, may everything be done pleasing in your sight. Father, may the, the acts that we do help us to grow in our love toward you and our love to each other. 
may we be a shining light upon a hill to the world. Because, Father, we worry so much about the, about the things in the world. It seems like things are so, so many things are changing, and we're just worried about people getting further away from you. And Father, we pray that you'll help each and every one of us to be a, a light, to be a, a light in that dark world that we might get people to see the need and the love of Christ. Father, again, we thank you so much for each of the members here. We pray that you'd be with those who are hurting, who've lost loved ones, or and those who are ill. Father, we pray that you comfort and take care of them. As always, Father, we ask you to watch over our, our servicemen in this country and all over the world, take care and and keep them safe. Father, we ask you to watch over the leaders here in our church here locally. Help them to make wise decisions that might help our church to grow. Again, Father, we thank you so much for Jesus who died for us, who gave his life for us, who loved us so much. Father, help us to always share this love with all we come in contact with. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Next hymn this morning, number 299. 299, I stand amazed. We'll sing the first, second, and fourth verse. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Messiah, and wonder how Jesus loves thee. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper this morning, I would like to read from Psalm 103, verses 1 through 13, 
Psalm 103 was written by David, a man who loved God, who fully trusted God, who believed that God would save those that, um, that trusted in him from their sins, but was a believer that understood that the only way that God would save us from our sins is through a sacrifice offering. Of course, Psalms was written many years before Jesus went to the cross, and for us that live on this side of the cross, we can still fully appreciate David's words today, and we understand that that sacrificial offering came as Jesus Christ, that God loved us so much that he was willing to send his son in our place to go to the cross, that we can have our sins forgiven, and that we could have that hope of eternal life. Psalm 103 reads, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Let's pray for the bread. Father in heaven, we come to you at this time, Lord. So thankful, Father, that we have this opportunity to pause to remember, Father, your son Jesus and his sacrifice on that cross. Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you were willing to send your son to take our place, Father, knowing that we don't deserve it, Father, that we are worthy of death. But we thank you, Father, that you've created a way for us to be saved. We thank you for for Jesus, who is that way, Father. This time we ask your blessings upon this bread, which represents Jesus' body. And we just pray that each of us would take it in a worthy manner. Through Jesus we do pray. Amen. pray for the fruit of the vine. Father in heaven, we come to you once again, Lord, again thanking you, Father, for all that you do for us, for loving us so much. This time, Father, we remember your son Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We thank you, Father, for the blood that was shed for each of us, Father, that covers over our sins, that removes our transgressions against you, Father, and we, we thank you for that. So 
so thankful, Father, for the, the hope of eternal life that we do share because of, of Jesus' death on the cross. And this time, we ask your blessings upon the fruit of the vine and pray that you'd be with each of us as we partake of it. It's through Jesus we do pray. Amen. That concludes the Lord's Supper. We now have the privilege of, of giving. It's another way that we can worship God is, is through our giving, as um, God says he loves a cheerful giver. And as um, we've been doing for a little over a year now, we won't be ta- uh, passing trays around this time, but there are yellow bins in the back of the auditorium that you can drop your giving in. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we approach you at this time, Lord, thanking you for all the many blessings that, that you give to each of us, Father, from our, just from individually, our families, to the church here at Rome, Father, we are truly blessed people, and we know that with blessing comes responsibility, Father, and we just pray that each of us will give back to you in a cheerful way, Father, that we will Bless our community with our giving, Father, that we will take up funds that will bring people to you, Lord. And we just ask your blessings upon the elders at this time that they will, uh, that you'll be with them as they look to distribute these funds, Father. And again, that they'll be distributed, distributed in a way that brings uh, glory to you, that people will come to know you, Father. And we just thank you for this um, opportunity for this responsibility, Father, and we just pray that you would bless our giving at this time. It's through Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number nine. Hymn number nine. A wonderful Savior. Sing the first, second, and fourth verse. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the flat of the dark, where rivers of pleasure I see. He hideth my soul in the flat He hides my heart in the depth of his love and covers me yet with his hand and covers me yet with his hand. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. He takes my birth away. 
If you can help with that, we would greatly appreciate that. I think we're going to be doing that the next, uh, next Monday as well. So it should be about the same time, about 1.30. That would be a great help for us. I enjoy unloading boxes by myself as much as the next, but it would be fun to have somebody to talk to. Mark chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning. Mark chapter 7. We're almost halfway through Mark. Next week, as we get into Mark chapter 8, especially toward the end of Mark chapter 8, Mark's going to switch gears on us a little bit. He's been talking to us about who do you think Jesus is. And he's been providing miracle and teaching section. Miracle and teaching section. All with the aim of convincing you that Jesus really is who he says he is. And so this morning, in Mark chapter 7, you're going to get to meet the stereotypical two different types of hearts. You're going to get to meet a good heart, and you're going to get to meet a heart that is pushing back. And then toward the end of Mark chapter 7, you get to meet a deaf man who kind of changes everything. So let's dive into the text this morning. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Jesus runs up against the Pharisees from Jerusalem again. Uh, he is in Galilee at this time. I believe he's in Capernaum. Uh, and so they have traveled around 90 miles to have this confrontation with him. Um, they have a problem with Jesus, and we've noticed that in the previous uh, sections of Mark, because Jesus is trying to take away their power. In Mark, Jesus is taking back the kingdom. The Pharisees have absconded with God's kingdom. And Jesus, in Mark 1, uh, verses 14 and 15, says that he came to take it back. The Pharisees obviously don't like that. They like being in charge. They like having the authority. And so when he comes telling people to listen to him 
not to listen to the Pharisees. They don't like it. And so here these Jews, have, these Pharisees have come from Jerusalem and they found a problem with some of Jesus' teaching. The Pharisees have made up all these, we're going to call them silly rules. At the baseline, these rules are not silly. These were designed several hundred years ago before this point uh, to keep Israel safe. So you might think about it much like this. Um, Adam and Eve were told not to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, right? But when Adam starts talking about it, he says, we're not even going to look at it. Think of that as one of the Pharisees' rules. If you don't ever look at the tree, then you're not going to see the fruit. You're not going to see that it's good for food, and you're not going to eat it. It's a rule that kind of protects God's rule, right? That's what the Pharisees have tried to do. Now, by the time Jesus comes along uh, and is born and he starts his ministry and things like that, the Pharisees are so regulated to their rules that they're actually not following God's commands, but they're trumping his commands by their traditions. About seven times you're going to see in this first little section here in Mark 7 through 1 through 23 or so, you're going to find seven different times where Mark alludes to your traditions. Your traditions, the traditions of men. Jesus doesn't have a problem with the, with the Mosaical law, right? With Moses' law, he doesn't have a problem with it. Of course, he's the one who wrote it. And so he doesn't have a problem with Moses' law. Had they been following Moses' law, Jesus would have come along and they would have said, Oh, look, it's the Savior. We understand who he is. We understand what he's doing here. And yes, the kingdom is yours. Allow us to submit to you. That would have been the reaction. But instead, they've been following these traditions for so long at this point that these things are now concrete. These things are more important than God's commands than God's law. And so Jesus comes in and he, he kind of, he doesn't kind of, but he does abolish their traditions. This first tradition that they're going to come up against him with is, your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, this isn't like your mama told you to wash your hands before you eat because you've been playing out and making mud pies and stuff. This isn't because your hands are dirty. They've already done that. They've already washed their hands. They've gotten the, the dirt and stuff off their hands before they eat. Before they eat. This is a ceremonial cleansing, a ritual cleansing, because there's not enough water in the ceremonial cleansing, the, the, the washing their hands they're talking about. There isn't enough water in that act to get the dirt off your hands. They would just simply scoop the water, uh, and they would have washed the sin away, is what they're doing, essentially. They're trying to wash the sins away so their hands aren't contaminated, because they've just come from the marketplace. They've been interacting with Gentiles. This is unclean. They're, they don't want to take anything inside of them that would be unclean. So if you eat food with hands that have touched Gentiles, ugh, you've got their sin on you, and now you're putting your, your sin, their sin in your food, and you're ingesting it. And Jesus kind of says, I, I, don't you get it? What comes out of you is what defiles what, What's inside of your heart is what defiles you. It's not what you take inside. No food can make you unclean. Now, for Mark in the first century, before Jesus died on the cross, this whole idea that food can't make you unclean is kind of incredible because the Jews taught that it can, right? 
There are certain foods that you do not eat because they are unclean, and they will make you unclean. And you cannot worship in the temple. You can't be around uh, people who are ceremonially clean. Certain foods can make you unclean. But Jesus says, food doesn't matter. It's what's inside of your heart that really matters. Now, let's take a second right here, take a beat, and let's figure out what it's doing here. Why is, John, why is Mark recording this, this particular teaching section for us? Teaching sections in Mark are, um, he doesn't focus on them. He focuses more on the miracles, especially in this first section. And so this is kind of an, an abnormal section for us here. And so why has why is, why is Mark included this, this little section for us? Well, I think it's a test case for what a bad heart looks like. A heart that's not turned toward Jesus. Remember back in Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells this parable about the the four different types of soil. Three are bad types of soil, and they they kind of push back against the truth, and they don't want to hear it. And when they do hear it, uh, they they resist taking it in to themselves and making the appropriate changes. And only one soil is good soil, and when that, that heart hears the truth, they take it into themselves, and whether it hurts or not, they make the appropriate changes, repentance, baptism, good life, following Christ, 100% devoted to Him, following His will, submission. That's what it looks like. These Pharisees, they don't have a good heart, do they? In fact, let's read a little section here. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 5. He says, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the, to the tradition of the elders? See, there's their tradition, right? It's not Moses' law that they're talking about, because Moses didn't say anything about washing your hands before you ate. This is a tradition that they've made up. But they eat with defiled hands. Now listen to what Jesus says to them. And he said to them, well, did I say I prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips... But what? Their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Their, their worship is useless because they teach the doctrines, they teach as doctrines the commandments of men. You don't want to hear the truth. And when you do hear it, what? You try to murder it. That's what they're doing actively to Jesus. Now they're looking for a reason to silence him. Any reason will do. They've attached themselves now to this idea of your disciples are ceremonially unclean. Jesus says, well, great. You make, in verse 9, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. In fact, you are... In fact, you are not... Honoring your father and mother. Now that is a mosaical command, right? In fact, that's one of the Ten Commandments. They would have all known that particular command very well. Just, just like we do. He says, you don't honor your father and mother. And remember what Moses said about that. Whoever doesn't do that is worthy of death. Jesus includes that little tidbit here for us and for them. And he says, but whatever money you were going to give to your parents to take care of them, you've devoted, quotation marks, right, air quotes, you've devoted that to God. They didn't really devote it to God. They devoted it to themselves. 
but they refuse to take care of their parents. And Jesus says, you're actually breaking the Mosaical Covenant, but you're keeping these silly laws. That doesn't make any sense. Your heart isn't where it ought to be. He's going to get down to brass tacks here in verse 14. Mark 7, verse 14, he says, He called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. Part of the problem was that they were hearing, but they weren't really understanding. You ever tell that to your kids? Kelly tells that to me sometimes. <laughs> you're, you're listening, but you're not understanding. Like you heard me, but you didn't really understand. You know what I'm talking about? That's exactly what, they're, what he's talking about here. You guys are hearing my words, but you're not getting it. I want you to get it. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. Nothing. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. His disciples are almost as in the same boat as the Pharisees. Do you get that? They are hearing, but they're not understanding. Now, there's a difference between the Pharisees and the disciples, right? Do you see the difference? When the disciples come to him, they ask him to explain it. They're close to him. They want to hear an explanation. They want to learn. They don't get it yet because their minds haven't been opened. They haven't, they haven't started pulling the string like we talked about last week. By the way, there's all kinds of strings to pull in Mark chapter 7. We're going we're gonna to yank on a couple of them as we walk through the next couple of minutes. But they haven't been pulling these strings, and so they're not going to understand. Just like we don't always get it because we haven't taken the time to put the hard work in to pull the strings to figure out what the text is trying to tell us. The disciples haven't been pulling any strings or haven't been pulling enough strings just yet to get over this hump, to, to get over their preconceived notions of what Jesus came to do and who he is. So they don't get it either. But the difference between them and the Pharisees is the disciples want to understand. The Pharisees don't. They couldn't care less. They just want to silence Jesus. Whatever that takes. Whatever it takes to take the kingdom back. Whatever it takes to get people to listen to them and stop following Jesus. That's what they're going to do. And so Jesus has uh, this incredible teaching here. Mark 7 like the rest of Mark, is just full of interesting little tidbits. And if you pull on these strings, this text starts unraveling in front of you, uh, and, and you begin to understand it. But listen to what he says here. Verse 18, he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside can't defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. That's Mark's little disclaimer, because Mark's writing to a Roman audience, Right? Don't forget that Mark's writing to people very much like us. People who are not steeped in the Old Testament. People who may not have even read the Old Testament up until this point. They came out of uh, pagan religions, out of the Greek mythology, the Zeus and um, Ares and all those, those uh, Greek gods. They came out of that history there. And so they don't understand almost nothing about, uh, about the Old Testament. And so... They are very much kind of like us. Maybe we're not as steeped in the Old Testament as we need to be. And so Mark declares all foods clean for us. And he gives us a little, little tagline there. Uh, and he said, whatever, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For from within, out of the heart of man, 
comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. Mark that because those are some of the Ten Commandments, aren't they? And these are some of the things that the, that the, uh, the Pharisees would have never done. You have never seen a Pharisee killing someone. But did they do it in their heart? Absolutely. Were they angry with their brother? Absolutely. They were breaking the Ten Commandments. But Jesus isn't done. Look in verse 22. Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Those are not ten, the Ten Commandments. Those are how we treat each other. Right. Those are what comes out of the Ten Commandments. It's interesting that five of the, five of the Ten Commandments deal with how we treat God. The, the vertical relationship, right? Don't murder. Don't have any other gods before me. How do, we, how do we interact with him? But five of them deal with the horizontal relationship between you and me. How people deal with each other. And essentially here, he's saying, you've broken all ten of them. And you don't even see it. The Pharisees are in a dire strait. And they don't even see it. I hope we see it. If, if we are in that position, if our hearts have been so riddled that we can't see it and that we push back away from the truth, I hope, I hope it gets through to us today. It couldn't to them. So that's what a bad heart looks like. When it sees the truth, it pushes back. And it just refuses at all costs to hear and accept the truth. What's a good heart look like? Travel down a couple of verses, and, and you're going to see the heading, the Syrophoenician woman, or maybe the Canaanite or Gentile woman. So this lady comes to Jesus. This is not the first Gentile who's come to Jesus, right? Uh, he's now in a different region. Uh, he's not in Capernaum anymore. He's in Gentile territory now. This woman comes to Jesus like Legion, like the woman with the issue of blood, like Jairus. She falls down on his feet. Now, all three of those people from Mark 5 that we talked about a couple weeks ago that fell at his feet, this was a sign of submission. This was a sign of, of I trust you. They don't understand everything. They don't have all the facts yet. They don't, they don't get everything. They, too, haven't understood everything Jesus is saying, but they are with him, right? You see the difference? They're with him, whereas the Pharisees are against him. And so this woman falls at Jesus' feet, and she has a request of him. Now, your English text probably doesn't convey it, mine doesn't, convey exactly what she was asking. The text literally says that she continually asked him. So she's got a little girl. The little girl has a demon. She's possessed by a demon, and she wants Jesus to heal her little girl. Reasonable request, right? For whatever reason, I think I can explain this. This is one of those yarns, strings you pull on, and a text unravels in front of us. And this is one of the biggest ones in all of Mark, maybe in all of Scripture, along with the deaf man that's coming up in just a second. But for whatever reason, Jesus doesn't answer her request the first time, or the second time, or maybe even the third time. The text says that she continually, she kept asking him. And finally, he has this incredible remark for her. Look in verse 27. And he said to her, 
Let the children be fed first. For it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, that might sound offensive, right? I think it's pretty easy to see that that might sound offensive. So what's Jesus trying to say here? When you don't understand something in Mark, in Scripture, it's a, it's a string that God's got in front of you and He wants you to pull at it so the text unravels in front of us like we talked about last week. And so we don't get this text, right? Why would Jesus offend this woman who just wants His help? She has faith, right? She's a Gentile who's most likely never seen one of his miracles. Most Gentiles hadn't because he didn't spend a whole lot of time in Gentile territory. She's probably never seen or heard of his teaching. So she has some impressive faith. And she wants Jesus' help. She has a significant problem. Usually Jesus would show compassion. Why doesn't he show compassion here? Why is, why is this his remark? Why does he call her a dog? Well, first couple things you need to understand about this text. He's not calling her an offensive dog, necessarily. He's calling her a, a house dog. Uh, and so think of like a chihuahua. In the first century, dogs were, like they are in third world countries today, just a nuisance. Uh, they're, they're curs. They get kicked and people throw rocks at them and they make them leave. That's not what Jesus is calling her here. That's not what she calls herself in just a couple of verses. She calls herself and he calls her a house dog. He's a chihuahua, a beloved pet. Now, what's going on with this crumb stuff, the, the sitting at the table and the food? Because she's going to say this exact same thing too. Look down in the next verse. when, After he, he says uh, what he says about the children's bread and throwing it to the dogs, she answered him in verse 28, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs on their table eat the children's crumbs. So she's not offended by what he says. Isn't that incredible? He says something to her that could have easily been construed as, Offensive, But what does a good heart do when it hears truth that is maybe even offensive? It doesn't leave Jesus. It sticks with him. Now, what's he trying to say here? His job, his mission is to come to Israel. He wasn't sent to Canaanites or the Syrophoenicians or, or anyone else, Syria. That was Jonah's job. He was, Jesus wasn't sent to any of those other nations. His job was to come to Israel to convince them that he is God, that he's taken back the kingdom. And then it was their job and the apostles' jobs to go out and tell everyone else our job as well, by the way. To go out and tell everyone else who Jesus is and what he wants from them. So that's what he's saying. The children are the Jews. And so he says, my mission is not to you. It's not to a Gentile nation. It's not to a Gentile woman. I'm going to spend my energy convincing Israel that I really am who I say I am. And so she comes back and says, I get that. I know I'm not an Israelite. I understand that I'm not your main priority. But if you threw a crumb out... I would gladly take it. I mean, just, just a morsel. She's just asking for a little bit of his grace, right? Mark includes this for us, not to show Jesus' lack of compassion because that's not what he's doing here. He includes that, this little tidbit here, to show us what a good heart does when it runs up against something that might be offensive. She doesn't run away. She doesn't say, oh, this Jesus, he just doesn't care about anybody. What does she do? She pleads with his grace. 
She pleads for his grace. That's what a good heart does. When it runs up against something that's hard, it pleads for Jesus' grace. Verse 29, he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. She goes home. She finds her little girl, and the demon's gone. He's good to his word, right? Matthew tells us this same pair of the same story, and he says that this woman's faith is great, incredible. One of the questions in your bulletin article this morning uh, for this week is find those other people. There's just not a lot of them. That Jesus says that has great faith. Work through some of that. Pull that strand. Pull that thread this week. And I think that will fall open in front of you. Let's deal with this last little section. You've seen what a good heart looks like. You've seen what a bad heart looks like. Let's deal with this deaf man. Talking about a string that we need to be pulling on. This is, uh, this is kind of incredible. So Jesus goes to the Decapolis. We talked about the Decapolis a couple weeks ago when we talked about Legion. Uh, it's a city. Uh, it's a conglomerate of cities. Ten cities as a matter of fact. Um, and that's where Jesus is at right now. He finds uh, a man coming to him who is deaf and mute. And as Gentiles usually do in Mark, this man comes begging Jesus to heal him. You don't find that a lot in Israelite territory. Because the Israelites are pushing back on him a little bit because their hearts aren't where they ought to be. right? But this man has a good heart, just like the Syrophoenician woman, and he's begging Jesus to come uh, and heal him. And so Jesus does this really incredible thing. The thing that you, like, he never does what you think he's going to do, does he? <laughs> you, you, just when you think you know him, then he starts, he sticks his fingers in this man's ears, and he spits on his tongue, and he says in Aramaic, be opened, and the man's healed. Now, why in the world does he do that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, this is a thread I've got to pull on some more. I don't know why he does it. Unless he's trying to communicate to the man that he's going to heal him. The important part of this passage, though, is not why Jesus heals him the way that he heals him, but the fact that he does heal him. That word mute in verse 32, uh, see, 732 uh, he had a speech impediment, is what the, the, my, my English Standard Translation says. Underline that verse, that little speech impediment, that phrase. Maybe your translation says mute. Underline that, because that's important. And then think back to Isaiah. Remember how we said we don't know the Old Testament like we should have? The Bible is written in layers. And so if you're just kind of new, you don't have a whole lot of experience with God and you're reading through it, you can understand what you need to do to be saved, right? It's not all that difficult. He didn't hide it. He wants you to understand it. And so he put it in clear view for us. But as you spend more time with him and as you learn more and more about the rest of Scripture, certain parts of it start, start unfolding to you. The Old Testament for us is not one of those parts usually. We don't spend a whole lot of time thinking through it, but you need to. Uh, especially in this instance, go all the way back to the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah. About 800 years before Jesus was born, this guy Isaiah comes on the scene. and He's prophesying against the southern nation of Judah. I wrote about this in your bulletin article this, this week. Um, so if you haven't read that, go back through and read that. I think that will help you connect the dots some, a little bit on this passage. But in Isaiah, starting in about Isaiah chapter 28... God starts railing 
against this southern nation of Judah. Um, the northern nation is going to be destroyed in 722. That's still in the future. Uh, just not very far, though, in Isaiah's day as he's making these prophecies. But he's going to use the destruction of the northern nation of Ephraim, the ten tribes in the north, as um, proof positive that his words are going to come true for the southern nation of Israel too. He's going to judge them for their immorality and their idolatry. It's coming. But hope remains. The judgment is going to be severe. In fact, uh, throughout Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 34, where he pictures Israel, Jerusalem, the holy city, right? God, where God's presence lived. He pictures it as a ghost town that's only run by wild animals because there's no one else there. It's destroyed because of his judgment. He did that. That's Isaiah 34. In Isaiah 35, he talks about hope because when he judges, there's always hope. There's always a remnant left. If you go back through and you look at the Old Testament passages that talk about his judgment, right after he judges, it's severe and it's complete. But then he talks about this remnant that remains because there's only always a, a holy remnant that's left over. A tiny portion of a people who want to do his will, who are willing to submit to him. And he says, there's coming a day when that people, the people who are willing to submit to him, will be healed. You're going to know that that day is here. Turn over to Isaiah 35. You're going to know that that day is here. Check this out. This is incredible. You're going to know that that day is here. Isaiah 35 Starting in verse 5. When the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. That little section, that little phrase that you underlined earlier, speech impediment back in Mark chapter 7, 32, is only used one other time in all of Scripture. The word that he uses for speech impediment in Greek is only used one other time in all of Scripture. And guess where it's found? Right here in Isaiah 35, verse 6. I think Jesus is using, I think Mark is using, this, these stories of the deaf man here in Mark chapter 7 to say that that day that you've been waiting for for healing is right now. He's come. Remember... The, uh, the scripture that Alan read for us this morning, John the Baptist sends out to Jesus and he says, well, are you the one that, we're, that we've been looking for, the one that we've been waiting for, or, or should we keep on looking? John's in prison, he's facing death, and he's, he, he's questioning what he already knows. So he sends messengers, messengers to Jesus, are you who you say you are, or, or, or we need to be looking for somebody else? And Jesus says, you go back and you look at what's happening. The deaf are hearing. The blind are seeing. The dead are walking. He really is who he says he is. And I, I think 
in Mark chapter 7 when Jesus heals this deaf man. I think Mark records this portion for us so that Jesus can say, right now, right now is that time that you've been looking forward to since Isaiah's day, since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. That day, right now, it's happening. It's incredible, right? We sing a song, Today is the Day of Salvation. Well, today, if you're struggling and your heart has been pricked, if you're thinking, well, maybe I've been pushing back against him, and I shouldn't have been, because he has the words of life. Today is the day of salvation. You can be baptized, having your sins washed away, putting on Him, and then raised to walk in newness of life. Maybe you've already made that decision, and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be, to, to work on your heart, uh, to, to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the blood that makes me white as snow. One quick thing we, I forgot to go over. This Wednesday at 4 o'clock, we've been having Rick and Chris have been doing the Bible class on Wednesday evening. The last two sessions will show at 4 o'clock, and then we will meet at 7. Also, the ladies have been doing a Zoom meeting on Wednesday evenings, and one lady says she won't be able to see nobody no more. That's Barbara Ocpanudo. She's now in South Carolina, North Carolina. North Carolina. But uh, send her a card or say hey, but she's been able to be with the ladies in the class. So those two things will be coming to an end, but we're glad to be back on Wednesday evening. Thank also, thanks to Rick and Chris for 
doing the meetings and Kelly and Mary for doing the Zoom and whoever else is involved. We really appreciate it over the last year or so. Thanks. We'll close this morning with hymn number 48, Anywhere with Jesus, hymn number 48. First, sing the first two verses, and then Brother Gary Leap will lead us in prayer. Anywhere with Jesus, I can safely go. Anywhere he leads me, this world will be Anywhere without him, there is good, good with me please father in heaven we come to you thanking you for this beautiful morning you've given us and father for the opportunity that we've had together here and sing songs of praises to you and and father and and, and surround the table and and remember your son who uh, sacrificed his life for us we're so thankful for that and, and father we are mindful of those who are hurting today and in, in whatever way it may be and we pray, Father, that, uh, that you'll uh, bless the family of Herman Wilson, Father, that you'll bless them and, and comfort them and give them peace in only a way that you can, and especially be with them uh, this afternoon, Father. We uh, pray for those who were mentioned here this morning. We pray for those who are sick. Father, we pray for uh, Dean and Mary Alice, that you'll bless them, and, and uh, Margaret and Jenny's sister, Rosemary, and and Father, be with Frank Garlic at this time, Father, and, and uh, bless him. And, and we pray for Friday's sister that, that you will be with her. And, and Father, bless Rusty and Kristen and Randy Ash and, and Dottie Hager and, and all those, Father, who are battling cancer or just whatever it may be, spiritual illness or physical, we just ask blessings on, on them. And Father, we're thankful that uh, we'll be able to... Uh, to meet back here on Wednesday evening. And we pray that you'll be with us and watch over us. And, and Father, we just pray that uh, we'll be able to, uh, to worship you and, and uh, always in, in spirit and truth and, and in a way that we can glorify you. Forgive us, Father, when we fall short of what you have us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.